Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Friday, March 30th, 2018, on the basis of Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. Have you ever considered how much of your life is viewed through a filter? Now, maybe that sounds like the opening line to a speech where I'm going to tell all of you that all of us should really put down our phones and get off of social media and stop living life through the screen that's in our hand and instead start living life that's in front of our faces. And, and maybe it's true that there are some of us in the room who could really stand to hear that speech. But of course, we'll save that one for another night. Now, the reason I ask you that question this evening is because it gives me an opportunity to repeat something that I said a few weeks back just as we were getting ready to begin this season of Lent, that in a very real way, all of our life is viewed through a filter. The assumptions, the mindsets, the beliefs that we hold really in large part determine how we experience life and the world around us. In fact, you might remember that I pointed out that an optical illusion is a perfect example of this an example of how sometimes our brain is actually telling our eyes what we see instead of the other way around. In a very real way, we view and experience all of life through some sort of filter. The only question is, which one? And if that's the case, then, then we kind of have a tall order in front of us this evening. For the last six weeks, we've been talking about rethinking Religion. We've seen over and over again how so often Jesus takes our assumptions about God and he just turns them completely upside down. Well, this evening we gather here on Good Friday to turn our attention to the single event that is right at the very center of our religion. Which means that, first of all, today, more than any other day, we should expect that our assumptions are off base, that our assumptions cannot be trusted. Now, you might think to yourself, well, everyone understands Good Friday, right? Everyone knows what happened. Everyone knows what the cross is all about. Everyone knows what Christians mean when they say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Actually, no, believe it or not. There are as many different views, as many different filters of Good Friday as there are filters you can use in Instagram to make that selfie that you took look a little bit nicer. 40 of them, by the way. So today of all days, there are lots of filters through which we can view Good Friday. And second of all, it means that today, more than any other day, we better get it right. If we really are looking at the one single event that is right at the center of our faith, then the stakes are incredibly high. We get Good Friday wrong and the whole thing kind of crumbles, doesn't it? And so thankfully, these words that we have in front of us from the prophet Isaiah this evening are exactly what we need. Words that help us view Jesus' death correctly. Words that help us view this sacrifice that Jesus made clearly. A filter through which we will be able to see why this Friday is in fact so good. These words from the prophet Isaiah really constitute a song, a song that is made up of five parts. We'd say that the song has five verses. Even as you look at it in your service folder, you can see five paragraphs. And the first two paragraphs help us look at Jesus' death simply through what our eyes see. What does it look like 
is going on here. This would be sort of like if you experience some sort of big sporting event by attending it live in person. No multiple camera angles, no slow motion instant replay, no play-by-play or expert analysis. You're just soaking it all in with your own eyes. What does it look like is going on here? And in verse number one, Isaiah says how the kings and rulers of this earth, when they see what's going on on Good Friday, they are appalled. In Jesus' day, it was Rome that was in power. Rome was at the height of its power when Jesus was crucified. And when Romans looked at what was going on on that cross, they thought that what they were seeing was absolutely appalling. You see, Romans had sort of invented crucifixion as the ultimate symbol of torture and intimidation. It was their way of sort of flexing their muscles against anyone who would dare rise up against them. And so when they thought about someone hanging on the cross... It was the ultimate sign of someone being weak and pathetic. Verse 2 talks about what Jesus' death looked like to the Jewish people, to Jesus' own people. And it tells us that when they looked at Jesus' death on the cross, they thought that what they were seeing was embarrassing. Jewish people had big dreams for what they thought the promised Messiah would be. He was the one who was going to help overthrow the Roman government. And really from the day he was born... Jesus was the exact opposite of what their dreams, what their expectations for the Messiah would be. And so they would have been utterly embarrassed to think that their mighty promised king was the one hanging up there on the cross. We look at Jesus' death through that filter, through what our eyes see, through what it looks like is going on. And there's no other conclusion to come to than to say that this sacrifice is utterly shameful, appalling embarrassing, weak, and pathetic. Now, we might be quick to think to ourselves, well, we can kind of cross that one off the list, right, and and just move on to the next one and see if that one's a better fit. We're not ashamed or embarrassed of Jesus' death on the cross. We're here in church on Good Friday, right? Look right up there. We've got a big, huge cross hanging right in the front of our church. And maybe to a certain extent that's true, but, but maybe for us the greater danger is not so much using our eyes to look at what happened to Jesus, but using only our eyes to look at what happens to us. It was Jesus himself who said that the cross was not just something that would happen at the end of his life. He promised us that the cross was a pattern for our lives too, for how God would deal with us, that God would be accomplishing in our lives, often his greatest blessings through what appeared to be weakness and shame and suffering, and defeat, and even death. And boy, oh boy, when we see those things with our eyes going on in our lives, how quickly we can come to the same conclusion that it's appalling and embarrassing. Surely a God like ours would have bigger and better things for us in mind. So we need to remember we can't look at the cross through the filter of simply what our eyes see. Thankfully, we move on to verse 3. And verse 3 talks about a different filter. Verse 3 tells us exactly what is going on. In crystal clear terms, what is going on as Jesus died on the cross? This would be sort of like experiencing that same sporting event, only this time by watching it on TV. You've got a hundred different camera angles, instant replay, commentators, lots of insight, lots of analysis, all of which are screaming to you, here's what is going on, here's what you are seeing. 
In fact, maybe if you've ever watched a sporting event, you've heard them use terminology that you're not really familiar with. Can you really explain what a nickel defense is or a 1-3-1 trap? Well, how's this for terminology? Vicarious atonement. Penal substitution. Objective justification. Those are just a few of the highly technical and theologically loaded words that are taught so clearly and so beautifully in verse number three, the very heart and center of this song. Let me try and summarize. Isaiah is telling us that we have a God who is so completely holy that he demands payment for sin. And that that payment can only be death. But he's also telling us that we have a God who is so loving that he can't bear the thought of us having to make that payment ourselves. And so instead, in that love, he decides to make the payment himself. God's own son takes on human flesh, becomes one of us for the sole purpose that God the Father can take the sin of the whole world and place it on his son. Charge him. Convict him. Punish him as if that guilt was his. All so that no punishment would remain for us, so that we could go free. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. Just to be clear, this section of the song is telling us exactly what is going on on Good Friday. This is sort of like looking at Jesus' death without any filter. But the problem is that here's exactly the point where we are so tempted to bring into the equation and apply our own filter. The filter of, of what it looks like and feels like to us, what our, what our instincts and our mindset is. It's sort of like when Packer fans watch a football game that's being called by Troy Aikman. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Poor Troy. Troy Aikman could have the most brilliant insight in the history of football, and still every single Packer fan would disagree with him. Why? Because Packer fans have just decided that they don't like Troy Aikman, no matter what. So how does that look? How does that look when we apply the filter that is already inside of us to what Isaiah is telling us about Jesus' death on the cross? It looks like this. What kind of God would demand punishment for sin? What kind of God would demand that kind of punishment for sin? I mean, if God just wanted to forgive people for their sins, why couldn't he just forgive them? This whole thing sounds barbaric, primitive. Kind of sounds like some primitive deity asking some island of, of tribesmen to sacrifice some virgin into the mouth of an open volcano so that he takes the famine away once and for all. Sounds like child abuse. Atheist author Richard Dawkins said, just who exactly is God trying to impress with all of this? We look at Jesus' death on the cross through the filter of, of what is inside of us naturally, and we will only come to the conclusion that this sacrifice made by Jesus is nothing short of savage. Now, not so sure that you would ever apply that filter yourself. Maybe not quite as strongly. Maybe with us, it's just a little bit softer around the edges. Do my sins 
really deserve a punishment like that? I mean, I can see how the sins of some other people might warrant something as horrific as this, but, but not mine, right? Are you really telling me that everything that Jesus went through on Good Friday, I deserve to go through? Are you really telling me that if Jesus hadn't gone through those things on Good Friday, I surely would have. In fact, my eternal damnation in hell would be guaranteed. It is so easy to apply that filter to what we clearly are told is going on as Jesus died on the cross, and so we need to get rid of that filter too. Thankfully, the final two verses of the, psalm, of the song provide us with one more filter. This is a filter where we judge what we are seeing, not by what our eyes see, nor by what is coming out of our hearts and out of our instincts, but rather what our ears can hear. And that sounds a bit strange because especially as you look at verse 4 of this song, it talks a lot about silence. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Well, as strange as that sounds, I want you to listen very carefully to that silence. See, there's one more view of Good Friday that I wanted to tell you about that goes something like this. The idea is basically this, that Jesus came to this world to establish what we might call a a new world order. He called it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And of course, when he did, when he showed up with this new order, he met resistance from the old order. Call it the kingdom of this earth. And so these two conflicting orders, these two conflicting kingdoms kept butting heads. It got hotter and hotter and escalated more and more until finally Jesus wanted everyone to see Just how mean and nasty and vicious and violent and hate-filled this old order was. And he wanted everyone to see just how peace-loving and kind and gentle and forgiving his order was. And so that's why he died on the cross. In other words, he was making a point. He was sending a message. He was carrying out a demonstration, you might say. Friends, if that's the real meaning of Good Friday, can I say what what maybe you might be thinking? Worst demonstration ever. I mean, if Jesus really just wanted to make a point, stage a march, schedule a sit-in, have a bunch of people sign a petition. If Jesus really wanted to make a point, did he really have to go through all of that? If he really wanted to make a point, wouldn't he have made a point? Verse 4 of the song is telling us that he's utterly silent. He's not protesting anything. Listen carefully to that silence. Of course, Jesus did speak as he was hanging up there on the cross. And the rest of our service this evening is going to focus on the seven recorded words that we have that Jesus spoke from the cross. And I want you to listen very carefully to those two. None of them spoken in protest, but pay attention. Listen as Jesus calls out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus turns up to heaven, and he can't even refer to the person up there as Father anymore. He calls him God. Why? Because exactly what Isaiah said here is true. The sin of the whole world had been placed on Jesus, and as a result, God simply had to turn away. Listen as Jesus musters up one last bit of strength to be able to say loud and clear, It is 
finished. A word that in Jesus' day was used in commercial settings. It was written across the top of invoices that had been paid in full. Why? Because exactly what Isaiah said here is true. When Jesus paid for the sin of the entire world that was placed on him, the payment he offered was complete. The punishment that he went through has brought us peace. Listen as how after that payment has been made in full, Jesus can once again look up to heaven and refer to God as his Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, I am willing to let the last word about me and about my life, I am willing to give that last word over to you. And then finally walk out the door this evening with the very last words of this song ringing in your ears. Words from that fifth verse where God himself says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. This last filter, it's sort of like experiencing that big game through the viewpoint of the coach and the star player. Sort of like listening to them in the post-game interview. These are the people who really know what was going on out there and pay attention because they're both saying exactly the same thing. On Good Friday, when the camera is focused right on Jesus, he says for all the world to hear, it is finished. 48 hours later, the camera has panned over and is now focused on God the Father, and he simply echoes, yeah, what he said. Friends, we don't spend the next 48 hours sort of pretending as though Jesus is dead. We don't spend the next 48 hours wondering how it's all going to turn out in the end. No, even tonight, we look at Good Friday with our Easter Sunday goggles on. And it helps us see this sacrifice clearly. It helps us see that this sacrifice is neither shameful nor savage. It's sufficient. It's enough. It's all that's needed. Talk about a word that we could stand to hear over and over again. Talk about the perfect filter through which to view all of life. Enough. Disgusted with yourself for what you've done, who you've become, whom you've hurt. Enough. It's enough. At the end of your rope, because somehow you've slipped back into the lie, or maybe even been told the lie, that your relationship with God is all about your improvement and your change and your resolutions and your willpower and your determination and sincerity, and you're just sick of not measuring up. Enough. It's enough. Your health is going downhill, loved ones are dying. Nobody's getting along. All your ambitions have evaporated into thin air and every dream has died a slow and painful death and you're ready to declare once and for all that all hope of getting anything good out of life is lost. Enough. Look at me. Enough. Do yourself a favor favor, and view every second of your life through that filter. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.